Episode 69, The Essential Role of Trust in Patient Care with Dr. Mladenov. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today Deb, myself, and guest Dr. Mladenov challenge the impersonal nature of Western medicine and discover the profound significance trust plays in the doctor-patient relationship. Welcome to the story in your head. This is Ron Macklin, and today Dev and I have the honor of having Dr. Mladenhoff on our podcast today. I met Dr. Mladenhoff about 22 years ago, 23 years ago, and uh, I was recovering from football injuries that were like 15 years earlier than that. And I walked into the office because I'd been dealing with some pain that had been there for uh, 15 years. And I remember when I walked out, and I walked outside the bit of the door, the sky was a different color. The trees were a different color. The world seemed differently. And I think mainly because I could look straight forward, but my body was now at peace. And so I have great admiration and thanks to Dr. M for all that he's done for me. I'm really honored for him to be on the show today. So Dr. M, if you could, could you give us just a short introduction of who you are and what you do? Well, thanks, Ron. And that's such a heartwarming story. And and you sure I did that and it wasn't somebody else? Like that's, <laughs> that's so gracious the way you described our first meeting. Okay, so here's here's the short or long story. I grew up in Canada. I have a bachelor's degree in physiology and biochemistry, which is kind of like my passion. Then I went to chiropractic college. Probably through chiropractic college, there was a doctor that was coming to the lecture and they said, oh, he was going to be on the Antiguan Olympic team and he was going to be the first chiropractor at the Olympics. And I said, I need to go meet this guy. So I met him and he was treating a lot of the athletes I knew from when I was competing. And so I started following the applied kinesiology group. And two years later, after I graduated, I was the team doctor for the Canadian National Canoe Team for two years. I didn't go to the Moscow Olympics because of Jimmy Carter and, and the Americans, which is okay. And then I moved to the United States in 84. I've been practicing in Oral Park since 84. I had the good fortune of taking care of a lot of uh, superstar professional athletes. And Kansas City Chiefs hired me. I was on staff for 12 years. Still take care of a lot of the players, old and new, and just have a wonderful practice. And yeah, I I can say that I don't know a whole lot of people, but I've had the life of my dreams. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's pretty amazing with what I do with my hands and, and with people like Ron that trust me, it's, it's pretty amazing. So that's the short story. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. M. And I have to say when Ron first told me the story of the, he was working with you and he said applied kinesiology, I went, oh, okay. So you go to physical therapy. Like that was my original thought about, oh, so that's what you do. And then he made me curious. And I started looking into what applied kinesiologists do. And there's this connection that I'd love for you to talk to us about. Like, what is the what is the connection between what you do and not just the physical nature of things, but also the brain, the mind, and the stories we create? That That is a perfect question. So for me, the, the so applied kinesiology, as I grew up professionally, is a specialty within the chiropractic profession, but it really is a, it's not named properly because when you think of the world of kinesiology, which is, you know, movement, the study of movement, you know, that you could be in coaching, you could be in some various therapies. And so 
the name is really a misnomer. So I'm going to describe it a little differently. And that is, yes, it's the total person vision of how you look at someone. So there's their physical body, their mental body, their electromagnetic body, and their chemistry body. And so you put, put that in a blender of all those possibilities. And then what prism do you want to look through when you're evaluating the patient and then obviously uh, administering therapy? So I look through the prism of traditional chiropractic care, traditional chemistry and, and blood work, traditional physiology and neurology, and then traditional Chinese medicine. So you put all those things together and it's it can be a daunting prospect but what I tell, and we just had a class with young students this weekend. I told them, I said, the most important thing I can teach you is like how to think, right? And so I had a, this discussion with a patient this morning, and the patient says, like, like, doc, I want to ask you questions as you go along, but I don't want to interrupt your thought process because I know you're like trying to figure stuff out. And I said, well, if you ask me a question, I didn't, don't know how to answer it because what I've trained myself to do over the decades is, okay, just to think multidimensionally simultaneously, and so how do you describe five things at one time without separating them? And they're, therefore, they're not one thing anymore, right? So you know, to me, that's the beauty, the complexity. And one of my mentors said, you know, the body is simply intricate and intricately simple. And so when you, when you look at the body intricately, you might end up with a complex problem, complex solution. If you look at the body complexly, you might end up with a simple problem, simple solution. And so... I, I weave in and out of kind of those dimensions when I'm looking at a patient and working on a patient. And, and Ron will probably tell you, he says, well, half the time I don't think Doc's paying attention to me because he kind of looks like he's looking off in the distance. And actually what, I, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm looking, trying to look interior to his body for answers, even though I, I'm not blessed with, you know, some people can see auras and can see, or I can I don't see any of that stuff, but I can sense things with my hands. So I can, you know, sense thermal changes in your body, very small degrees, uh, electrical changes, you know, those kind of things. But, you know, I don't see stuff like some people are blessed with. Oh, amazing. Thank you. So one of the things we work with, Dr. M, is like all those stories we have in our head. Like we make them up throughout time and then we think they're real and we move around with them that way. And... One of the stories that you've really helped me with is my body has a balance. My body has a, a space and, and like, I can't always see it. I need somebody to help me with that. Like what stories do you find are most important for you for in your head as you're doing what you're doing? Oh gosh, <laughs> that's exactly what I just described. Okay. How do I tell them the 14 things I'm thinking about right now? <laughs> I would say that in a prayer that I say every day. And sometimes when I don't know what to do with a patient, I'll say this prayer. And, and one of my mentors taught me that. And he said, he said simply, and I think it's a Rosicrucian monk's prayer or some version of it. And that's really simple. He said, dear Lord, that true and magnificent healer from whom all wisdom has come, help me see with eyes that see, help me feel with hands that feel, help me hear with ears that hear, and help me feel with a heart that feels. And, and so... Again, I say that every morning. I say that when I walk into the office. And again, if I if I don't know what to do with a patient, I'm totally stumped. I'll just close my eyes and I'll say that prayer to myself. And and it's kind of cool and weird at the same time. It's like oftentimes I'll just put my hands on the patient and they'll say, how'd you know that's where the problem was? And, and, and I didn't. I just was directed to put my hands on their knee or their elbow or whatever it was. So that's how I clear my head. So that whatever's in my head, I can start figuring out what's wrong with the patient. Does that make sense? So, so 
Uh, you know, and, th and then the other thing is, I like telling my students, it's like, okay, if I'm, we had earlier this last week, a patient that came in and she came in really dizzy and her son almost had to carry her in. So we did a consultation that said, okay, we did some tests sitting and then I had her lay down. All of a sudden I see this bulging heartbeat out of her abdomen. And so my brain would say instantly, uh, not good. This looks like an aortic aneurysm, which can be a life-threatening situation if that aortic aneurysm bursts. So I put my hand on it. I took my, you know, my, my stethoscope. And I listened to it. And I just looked at the patient. I held her hand. I said, I don't know if this is a aortic aneurysm or not. And I said, I want you to go to ER. She says, no, I don't want to go to ER. They're not gonna. I said, okay, you don't have a second chance if this thing is that and it ruptures, you're dead within minutes. And she looked at me and she says, you're serious, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I, I'm serious. I said, I'd rather send a thousand people to ER and be, be wrong a thousand times and not have it be what I think the problem is. So where I'm going with that is like, okay, I've always tell my students, it's like, okay, I want you to be better than the best neurologist and better than the best you know, uh, endocrinologist so that, you know, I sent the patient to the ER and I said, you tell them these words. And I wrote it down. I said, I think she has an aortic aneurysm at this level of spine and it's this wide and this big and whatnot. And they call, called me back and said, how did you know that? And I said, well, I examined the patient. I listened to them. I, yeah, I told them all the things I did, but it's like, okay, when, when I can tell where I'm referring the patient exactly what's wrong with them, then I know I've done my job properly. And then they also know that I know what I'm talking about too. So, so, I don't like coming second, as my wife says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting as you think about traditional medicine, right? I, and I've been into the ER plenty of times. <laughs> all the tests that they run and all of the equipment that's needed to do all of that. And how I'm hearing you is, is really intuitive with not only your own thoughts, like I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap myself around the fifth, five dimensions of things that you're thinking about at the same time. But like, how do you, how did you gain that in, intuition or that knowledge about all of these things? You know what? I, I, I can't give you a one solid answer other than I stand on the shoulders of giants. I, I was blessed with having mentors who when I'd go up and ask them questions, they welcomed me into their sphere and taught me everything they knew. And, and so that was a tremendous, tremendous shortening of a very big learning curve where I, where I learned to do things in minutes that might take somebody years to do them just by hanging around with these brilliant doctors from all around the world. We, we, we just got back. I know we're going to post this later on, but we just got back from London for the coronation of His Majesty King Charles III. And it was with one of my, one of my best friends known for 35 years, an osteopath, and he taught me something totally new the week we were there. He's figured out how to determine your chromosomal meridian at the time of connection, conception. So in other words, he can tell what your chromosomes were doing the instant you were conceived. And it's like, he's going to teach me how to do that. It's like, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I've just been blessed with hanging around with great people that shared stuff. Uh, you know, I've always said I'm, I'm not the smartest tack in the, in the box. It's like, you know, I, I am just blessed with people being around me and them saying, okay, what else do you want to know? And I literally get to ask anything I want. And if they don't know, they tell me, they say, oh, listen, you need to call so-and-so at such and such. I'll tell them you're going to call. And they, and they would literally like roll out the red carpet for me to talk to all these doctors. And so that's, that, that's been pretty special. And so 
I, I still say I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy, but I, I've surrounded with unbelievable human beings that, that have blessed me and, and taught me and nurtured me and kicked me out of the nest too. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. M. There may be a lot of people who you know, have never had somebody help them with, with their bodies like this, right? They go to the normal doctors or they don't go to doctors at all. And like, if you could give them one story that could help them, maybe they then seek help, maybe they don't, but what story would you really want them to hold as important for them, for their bodies, for their lives and their space? What story would you share? Oh my goodness. Well, first, if I might frame that, and, and that is, it must be very frustrating being a medical doctor in this time and place in, in, in society, because number one, you're going to have patients knocking on the door saying, doc, you know, uh, I got this problem, you know, just write me a script for this drug. And if the doctor says, well, you know, I think I should be a little diligent. Let's do these exams. Make sure you got this problem. And the patient's going to say, doc, you're going to write the script or not. If not, I'm going down the hall to somebody else that can write the script. So, so now the doctor's in a dilemma. Okay. If, if I don't do this, it's like, okay, I'm losing money. If I do this, I didn't examine the patient. It's like, uh, uh, that to me is like really would be upsetting. Then the, the other part now is that Western medicine has become so impersonal. And, and that mm-hmm. is, you know, the doctor sits there on a computer, may not even look at the patient, a high probability they don't even touch the patient. And as long as they check the right boxes, they come up with an algorithm diagnosis, and then they can say, okay, here, take this drug or, you know, go do this surgery or this PT. And so it's really, really impersonal. So back to your question is, is like, okay, it's like there's good attorneys and bad attorneys. So how do you know which attorney to, to go to? And, and so my first story would be you, know, you, you, if you have someone you know and love and trust and you're having a particular health problem, just say, hey, Ron, it's like I, I've got this knee problem. You, you know anybody that might be able to help me? And, and listen to them. And, and you know, if they trust someone, then follow your, your instincts in your heart. Just say, you know what? I don't know. That sounds kind of weird. I was like, oh, really? Tell me about this guy or gal or whatever it might be. So so then if you have two or three people telling you to go see the same person, it's like, how many times do you need to be hit upside the head that you, you maybe you should just go see this person? So trust is one of the big things for, for a person. So now having said that, I saw this patient this week, and this is going to be a, a little bit of a bizarre story, but she's been coming like almost 35 years. And this patient came in and she had recurrent, and this is coming to a chiropractor. So a patient's coming to a chiropractor and she says, well, my, you take care of my brother and my sister and my brother-in-law. And it's like, okay, they said I should come in, but I don't know why I'm here. I said, okay, tell me what's your problem. She says, well, I've had recurrent bladder infection and yeast infection for five years. She says, but I don't know what I'm doing here. So, so point number one is like she came because she trusted her family's opinion. She didn't know what was going to happen, right? So... So then I examined her. I said, okay, here's here's what we need to do. And I, I gave her some bizarre things that are probably not suitable for airing <laughs> that she should do. And she says, I don't want to do that. I said, okay, I can't help you. <laughs> she says, what? I said, I, I can't help you. I was like, if you were my wife, that's what I would do. And, and I said, here's what you're going to do. So you don't believe me, do you? She says, no, I don't believe you. I said, well, you've done everything everybody else has told you to. She says, yes. I said, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to do what I ask you to do diligently. You're not going to change 1%. You're going to do it precisely how I told you to do it. Then you're going to come back and you're going to tell me, okay, this didn't work. You're a liar. I said, can you do that? She said, yeah, I can do that. I said, okay, I'll see you in a week. Well, 34 years later, she's still coming back. Hmm. 
So, so that was early in my practice here in Kansas City. But it's like, okay, the, the point of the story is number one, you got to some, got to go somewhere where there's some trust, and it may not be with you initially, but people you know trust this practitioner. And it doesn't matter if it's a chiropractor, massage therapist, a psychologist, an eye surgeon, whatever it is. Okay, so it has to be trust there. And then the second thing is, you know, it's like when a dog comes into a room, the dog knows who the bad person is right away. They'll go up and they'll snarl at that person. Everybody else will go and sniff and lick, right? So your intuition, as soon as the doctor or practitioner walks in the door, you'll, you'll have either an instant bond or an instant rejection. And, and you need to go with those instincts because they're never wrong. No matter how, if, you know, if the new king of England sent you in to see me and I walk in the room and you say, mm, this is weird. I was like something wrong here. It's like, okay, there has to be a, a doctor patient connection on some other level other than just physically looking at you or how we speak to each other. There has to be some un- intangible connection, which is, why Ron's still coming 20 some odd years later. And somebody's he'll come in and say, doc, I don't know what I did, but fix me. It is like, that's it. And I have to find out what's wrong with him. And, and, and he implicitly trusts me, but he, this is going to sound really strange. This is more of an Eastern concept. And that is, okay. He allows me to evaluate his body on more than just the physical level, if that makes sense. Right. And, and I'm grateful for that because that's, how our relationship is developed. That's how I can find things on him without him telling me what's wrong, which is pretty cool. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection. And in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Did I answer your question? My head's pretty busy right now. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you know, as you were talking about that trust, I was thinking also about the curiosity and the openness because it's so, it's so prevalent, right? That you want to go to a doctor and get that pill, the pill that you saw on the nightly news, that one that they're advertising that, you know, the miracle drug, you lose all the weight or whatever you do, but that there has to be some openness on that person to really be healed. Like the story in their head has to be that, no, I, I really do need this help. Uh, absolutely. And, and to that point, you know, something else, uh, I'll tell patients, say, listen, you know what, Ron, I don't give a damn what your health is like. Now, if you don't give a damn, why should I give more a damn about your health than you do? So if your give a darn gauge is on zero, mine's right there with you. It's like, I can't make you better without your help and without your participation. So if all you want to do is lay there, like take a pill or whatever it is, it's like, this is not going to work. Right. So there, there has to be some, you know, patient has to have some skin in the game for lack of a better way to describe. They have, they have to be committed to getting better. So now Dr. Chip, my son had a patient today and we've been taking care of the patient for a long time. And patient comes in and says, well, you know what? It's like, okay, you got to help me. I'm under so much stress and everything. And and I overheard the conversation and I butted in and I'm probably going to hear about it from my whole staff. It's like, you shouldn't have butted in on this patient and everything. But it's like, you know, I'd, I'd had it up to here. I have zero tolerance for imperfection. So if I'm going to teach you how to do it, I expect you to do it perfectly the first time. 
without question. <laughs> That's just what's in my head, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. so I stuck my head around the corner. I said, you know, how many times have you exercised this week? Well, I haven't exercised in a month. I said, how many times have you rested? Well, I rest every day. I said, do you intentionally do nothing for at least 45 minutes a day? You know, texting, no email, no music, no nothing. And you meditate. Oh, yeah, I meditate. How long? Well, two and a half minutes. Well, tell me an easy way to do it. I said, well, you need to do it for 45 minutes a day, not two and a half minutes a day or two and a half minutes a day times 20 times a day. Pick one. Well, Doc, I want an easier method. Wait a minute. You started this conversation with Dr. Chip by saying you don't want to take any vitamins because they cost too much. What can be easier than swallowing something and you don't have to think about doing anything? It's like, what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you don't want to meditate for 45 minutes. You don't want to do this. You don't want It's like, okay. She says, Doc, I need your help. How do you fix stupid? So then Ron will tell you, my daughter gave me a sign that sits under one of our cabinets and says, can't fix stupid. <laughs> so I see Ron smiling. He's like, I'm on a rant here. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're doing great, Doc. You're doing great. Yeah, I, I can share that I trusted you from the beginning, and it took my body about five years to be able to trust you. Like I, like I could go in, I'd show up on time, I'd be there, I'd do all that kind of stuff, and then you grab a hold of me and my whole body would just just tighten up, right? Yeah. And it took me a long time to be able to go, okay, just relax, as he's going to do what he's going to do, and I trust him, and I'll be in that space. And then you can actually do what you need to do. Yeah. And it's taken me some time to do that, but that practice has helped me in many other domains to be able to trust and let my body relax. Well, well, that's wonderful. But the first, you know, our first visit was like you trusted me, whether it was an emotional level or spiritual, there was some level of trust. But then there's multiple levels of trust. Like you said, it took you about five years to just lay there and do nothing and then let me do my thing, so to speak, right? It's like, so, so, and, and, you know, their, their patients are, they have some comprehension and say, Oh, okay. Here's another thing in my head. Well, doc, you're not going to crack my neck, are you? I said, well, when you see a hockey stick in the corner, then you have to worry about me cracking your neck. <laughs> so they, so patients preconceived idea of what's going to happen before they come in the door can prevent them from getting better. Mm. Right. And, and so, so again, it goes back to that trust factor, you know, and, and we always like to know who sent the patient in because that gives us an idea of what kind of trust we're going to have, or is it going to be a little harder? We have to work a little, this might sound weird. How do you work at gaining somebody's trust? And the answer is by doing less, right? So, so if you do less and, and you're a little more guiding as instead of doing, then all of a sudden the patient says, you know what, I, I, I wasn't sure if I should do what you told me to do last week, so I just did it a little bit instead of like you told me to do it. And it's like, I started feeling better. I said, well, did you do more? She says, no, no, I wanted to come in and let you check me before I did it like you told me to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so triggered about like how how can we change our way of thinking about trying something new when we really need help? That's a really great question. And, and here's how I'd answer that, because this is what's really in my head, front and center, never goes away, 24-7, 366. And that is doctors do not understand that people, the three of us, we all do what makes our brain feel better. Now, sometimes that's good for you. Sometimes it can be harmful to you. But the reason why Ron and I, Ron and I like riding our bikes is it makes our brain feel better. Well, you know what? The reason why my my uncle liked and my grandfather liked having a shot of whiskey at the end of the day because it made their brain feel better. And the reason why somebody else might want to shoot up with heroin or run 100 miles 
is because it makes their brain feel better. So now the problem is when, when those things become pathological, then, okay, that's not good for the brain, but the, but the patient's doing what makes their brain feel better, which makes their body feel better. And so the, so that's like, that's the really like thing that's in my head right now, never goes away because my, my mom, bless her heart was probably stage one Alzheimer's when she passed and her older sister lived longer and she was stage 9 million Alzheimer's it, it re- really bad. And, and so it's like, it's not haunting, but it's like, you know, put a different swivel and purpose in my life that it's like, okay, I need to start paying attention to people's brains because you only get one. And if you don't take care of it, bad things can happen. And it usually, you know, our brain protects us. And the way it protects us is it tells us to do stuff to make it, the brain, feel better. It doesn't care about the rest of the body. As long as the brain's doing good, who cares about anybody else? Thanks, Doc. What age do you think it's appropriate for people to start taking this serious? Birth, because birth can be traumatic to babies, right? Birth, their head comes down the birth canal, and certain things should happen to the brain going down the birth canal because baby's head is bigger than mama's birth canal, so there has to be a little squeezing, a little pressure, which which starts certain neurological, physiological, and mechanical things happening in the head and in the brain. And if those things aren't triggered properly, then they can develop problems later on in life. And so, so they should at least be evaluated to make sure those things are working properly. The next thing is, okay, if there's been any head trauma, and, and kids have lots of head trauma, not, I'm not talking about just the casual little bump where they're learning to crawl, but when, when they start you know, playing on swings and like my grandbabies are doing now, it's like if they fall out of the swing and bang their head, actually, no, let me tell you a story. My oldest daughter, I was out lecturing, and we uh, ended up flying back to Detroit where Sandy's folks are. And we lived in Toronto at the time, so they picked me up at the airport. So Diana's, Sandy's holding Diana. And so I come out the exit of baggage claim. And so nobody was ready, but Diana lunged to see me. And San- so Sandy wasn't holding her properly. I didn't try to catch her. She fell, hit her head on the pavement. She was about two years old. So when you have major things like that happen, it's like, okay, you, you need to make sure that they get checked out. Unfortunately, uh you know, our superstar athletes have taught us and, and medical care has taught these athletes, if you're okay, you're okay. It's just a bruise. No, it's not okay. And it's not just a bruise. So those those kinds of injuries, especially to the head, need to be evaluated whenever they happen. Thanks, Doc. I know you have a book coming out. Would you like to share a little bit about details of what the book is and, and who would need it? Sure, I'm happy to. So the working title of the book is, because whenever, whenever an athlete hits his head, and whether he goes unconscious or not, the first question he has is, Doc, when can I play? So that's the working title of the book is, Doc, when can my kid play? And their subtitle is going to be, Doc, when, can, when do I get my child back or when is my child's brain going to be normal? So we we had we saw this patient this week. He's been coming for about a year. He had three concussions within a month. One of them, he had loss of consciousness after he was bucked by a horse. His head hit a rock and he was like out for minutes. So they did traditional Western care. They end up at our clinic. And so that was the first question the dad asked me is like, when, when can I, when do I get my son back? Well, I, I can tell you after years, like he's got a son back now the, the, the young man's competing. He's not competing in football anymore. He's competing in arm wrestling and, and some other things. So the, the book is directed to anyone who has had head trauma. It's not written for doctors. So it's, so what do you do? And so the, for me, there's two home runs in the back of the book. Uh, it talks about 
all the things that can be done to find out what's wrong. It's not, it doesn't tell you what to do about it just yet. That's probably going to be book number two, but it's like, I didn't want this thing to be a thousand pages long. And so just like if, when Ron came to see me, I sat down and I did a consultation with him. I asked a series of questions. Well, guess what? The patient gets to interview the doctor as well. It's not just the doctor interviewing the patient. So in the end of the book, what I did was I said, okay, if I'm the patient, I want to make sure I'm in the right place that this doctor is going to find out what's wrong with me and, and make sure I get all the right kind of care. So I listed, okay, here is, and I think there's like 25 questions that you should ask the facility or the doctor that you're going to about, do they do these things to patients so that you know you're going to get not just the right kind of care, but complete care. Mm. But the, but having said that, the first thing is, if in doubt, always go to emergency room when you bump your head, no matter how big or how small, because you need to make sure, okay, is there any fracture? Is there in, any internal bleeding? Is it a life-threatening situation? So we're talking about, okay, you've been to ER, all that stuff's happened. You don't have a brain bleed. You don't have a fracture. It's not life-threatening, but you still got a headache. You still, light, bright lights bother your eyes, right? So, and anybody who's had any head trauma or concussion, and especially if they have not recovered from a concussion, this would be a perfect, perfect uh, starting place to help reset the button on, okay, how do I find out what's wrong with me? I'm not dying, but this sure isn't any way to live. Yeah, thank you so much. And I have one more question, because I'm not located in Overland Park. And I started looking because I was curious, there aren't a lot of doctors out there that use applied kinesiology Correct. as a standard. So how, how do people get help? Okay, so we're the, we're the best kept secret in the planet. And, and and not because we're secret, it was just like, okay, the majority of us are, are busy enough and it's like we don't need to be telling more people and get busier that we can't handle taking care of the patients. So th- there's two easy ways. The first is if you go to something called the International College of Applied Kinesiology and make sure you get to the USA chapter, and then simply you just type in your city or your zip code, and it'll give you a list of docs. Something a little more uh, complex is like you can call my office and we'll find you somebody. We might not be able to do it right away, but you know, we'll find a way to communicate with you either by phone or email. And, and I'd probably prefer the second one because then you know if you say, hey, well, listen, I'm in Tampa, St. Pete area. And uh, who should I go to? And I'll, I'll pull up the referral list and there'll be eight guys there. And I'll say, okay, I know him personally, but I've known this guy for 30 years and I know exactly how he takes care of patients. So, so we can make it a whole lot more personal for someone that way. And in fact, the guy to go in Tampa St. Pete is a good friend of mine, <laughs> but he's, he's one of those guys that I learned a lot from. And it goes back to that, that co-mentorship. So if I learn something new, I'm going to, I'm going to share it with that doc, Chris, Ashel Smith, when we were in London, he learned something new. First thing he did was he says, okay, after we have something to eat, I got to show you the new stuff I just learned. So, so we'd be happy to do that. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Thanks, Deb. And, and thanks, Dr. Tim. Now this is kind of the section of our show where we have a little bit more fun. And our question is, what is your favorite movie? Like a movie that you've seen more than once and you do it because there's something to learn or there's something else in that space. What is your favorite movie? And I'll give Doc, I'll give you a little break. Deb, what's yours? Oh, that's so easy. Like The Princess Bride. And not only is it my favorite movie, and I don't know how many dozens of times I've watched it, but when I met my husband for the first time and we started talking, that's his favorite movie too. So we could watch that all day, all night, and that's great. be perfect. I, I love that movie too. Doc, what's yours? I, I don't do movies. I still haven't watched all of Dr. Zhivago. 
So the last time I went to a movie in the theater intentionally because my kids took me was the 25th anniversary of Miracle on Ice, mm. the movie of when Team USA beat Team Russia. But I, but I did not go willingly, even though I knew the whole story and I, pro and, and I probably knew every player and all the words in the, you know, the lines in the story and everything. So I, seriously, I'm, I could care less about movies. <laughs> well, uh, let's, let, let's shift in. What's your favorite book that you've read multiple times? Oh, gosh, darn it. Like, that's too long. Well, my favorite book is the one I'm reading right now. So I, I just happen to have it right here. So I have this thing with my kids. So I, I've always, I always buy them a book on their birthday. And it's a book I think they should read. So they know what they're getting from dad for their birthday. So <laughs> when they, so Father's Day is coming up, right? So they, they want to know. So we've, we've developed this relationship where I send them a, a list of three books I'd like to have as a gift from them, but they're not easy to find. So they can't just go onto Amazon and do a search and find them, right? So here's the book I got last year from my oldest daughter. It's called The Yellow Monkey's Emperor Classic of Chinese Medicine. And, and it's a literally a kid's story of how to practice Chinese medicine based around a yellow monkey being the emperor of China. So it's, it's like a comic book. And then the one before that was really cool. It was called Humming with Elephants, which is a more scientific literature, correct search of how to practice Chinese medicine. So those are my two favorites right now. Oh, thank you. Awesome. I'll share mine. It's, it's Shawshank Redemption, which is a Stephen King movie about a prison, but it's also about the love two men have for each other. That's not gay sexual love. It's just a friendship and a space that's in that space. And I, I just found it a, an amazing movie to reflect on the Wait a minute, you said book. Uh, no, I was doing movie. Oh, okay. You went back to movies. I went back to oh, movie because okay. we started there. Oh, okay. Now I, I, I can do book. Okay. Right? That, that's a, that's a, an easier one for me. Okay. Well, while you're thinking about that, can I just say what's in my head? Yep. Okay. Yes. So, so he, he said the story about the Shawshank Redemption. So I grew up in an Eastern culture. I couldn't speak English when I went to school. And so in my culture, to this day, when we left the office today, I hugged and embraced and kissed my son. It's like, so in Eastern culture, men embrace and kiss men. And it's like, that, there's nothing weird about that. And it's like, it's sad that that's now thought of something weird. But I never grew up as a kid. And I still to this date, uh, like it's never been weird to me for two men to embrace and, and have a fondness or respect and a, using the word, I love you, and not have it be anything more than a connection between two human beings. Got it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, And I appreciate you sharing. And I agree with your stand mm -hmm. on that. I, I 100%. Thank you. Your book. The, the Wisdom of Insecurity. Whoa, that's that title sounds curious. By Al, by Alan Watts. It's a good read. Sweet. It's a great read. So with that, I'm going to close out by sharing a, a story of Dr. M that was not with Dr. M. So I have used the referral service of, of Dr. M to find me other kinesiologists to go treat at different places, right? And this, this always happens. It happened in Europe. And it happened in Florida and Texas and other cities that I've been to because I've done a lot of traveling. I go in and I introduce myself. I go, this is my pain. This is what my situation is, where I've been at. I've been under the care of, of Dr. Mladenhoff for this long. And, and the same question comes up. They go, you know Dr. Mladenhoff? I go, yeah, I do. And then, and then they, they ask the same question. So what does he do to you? I go, no, that's not how it works here. <laughs> I, 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 I come to you, you, you tell me what to do. We're good. I don't tell you what to do to me. Right. 
And it's your identity in the world is that way. And so I acknowledge you for what you've created for yourself and your family, but also for my family. And thank you for being on our podcast. And thank you for being you. This is awesome. And thank you for sharing that. That's like amazing. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listened to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.